sound guru. I've had that privilege. Thank you. Yes. Yes, it's very funny. Steve Lee and I were just talking about you the other day. Oh, really? Okay, <laughs> sure. Steve's an old friend, right? And he's a fellow, oh boy, lover of the passive sound. Yes. You know, there's not many of us left. We're trying to keep it alive. Yes, he's working on the Hollywood Sound Museum right now. I've heard, right. Exactly. Yep. Yes. Yeah. He comes and does my radio show to talk about oh, it. Good. Well, I'm sure he would. My infamy proceeds. And, you know, (laughs) I just couldn't resist. That was just the opening of I chatted with Ben Burt for about 10 minutes or so on the TCM Film Festival red carpet this past April. And, of course, it's not often you get to talk to Oscar winning sound designers. So I couldn't help but mention our our good friend. The incomparable Steve Lee, uh, who is here in studio on Behind the Lens today. Hello. So, <laughs> Good old Ben. Ben's, Ben's a sweetheart. Yeah, I've known him uh, since I really started professionally. He's, he's great. I feel sorry for Ben. <laughs> yeah, he does too, <laughs> actually. <laughs> well, for those of you tuning in, this is... Behind the Lens, I'm Debbie Elias, film critic, creator, and host of Behind the Lens, where every week we go behind the lens and below the line with directors, writers, sound gurus, sound mixers, cinematographers, film editors, actors, you name it. They've all been on the show so far. So, and today I'm... Have have any of them been on three times? No, Steve, you have the record for three times. David, let's see. <laughs> director David, writer-director David Spaltrow has been on the show twice. Okay. Ned Airbar has been on twice. Michael David Lynch has been on twice. Uh, there are a few other people. Jamie Lynn uh, Lippman, uh, wonderful director. Uh-huh. She's been on twice. Okay. Um, Steve Alaric has been here in person twice. Um, okay. he, he, he wants to, to rival and he wants to, okay. well, we'll, we'll, he wants we'll start to, a race. He wants to go back and forth <laughs> It's on, with the race you. is on. Actually, he, he, <laughs> were it not for the fact that he is up in Toronto oh, filming, okay. filming right now, he would have been here a couple weeks ago because he has, he is going to be appearing on the rookie Nathan Fillion's new oh, show yeah. in an upcoming episode. Oh, okay. So he was going to, but because he got hired to be on something else. Know, right. He, he's, so right now, you're in the lead three times. Yes. But, you know, <laughs> folks, you want you, movie reviews, interviews, you can find them all 24-7, all, all of my stuff, 24-7 in print and online around the world. Uh, also, BehindTheLensOnline.net, but every Monday, I am right here on AdrenalineRadio.com live from 11, 11 to 12, 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time. And today I'm so thrilled to have our good buddy, uh, my good buddy, Steve Lee here. The Hi. Fa- sa- sound guru is an understatement <laughs> to talk about, uh, Steve. And, as, and as, as Ben mentioned, you <laughs> truly are, you are celebrating, preserving sound history in Hollywood. 
And you're doing that with your incredible endeavor, the Hollywood Sound Museum. Well, it's still it's still sort of in our imaginations, but I am assembling a great amount of wonderful stuff, some of which I'll show you today. But uh, yeah, I mean, we're working on. I mean, it's been like almost. Oh my gosh, it's almost three years now since the inception. Mm-hmm. So you know, we're still getting all the paperwork done and everything, and we're going to be uh, touring a small exhibit soon, and you know. I, I seem to keep repeating myself when I come on your show, no, but I think the the biggest the biggest um, accomplishments lately has been the things that we're going to feature, the things that we're we're collecting and storing for this wonderful place once it becomes a reality. Because so. you know there are so many people for years. Everybody talked about you know oh my god Debbie Reynolds costumes need to be in a museum yeah. need to be in a museum. But that was it, very sad. It takes money yeah. to create, and not just money, but manpower and logistics. She was working in it for years, and then finally she you know, had, had to, to give up. Had to liquidate a lot of it, and, and some of it will pop up in the Academy Museum. I'm sure. And yeah. some of it, you know, other collections. And that, that great exhibit that Deborah DeDuelman did um, a couple oh, years yeah. ago, uh, some of the stuff was in there. But, uh, yeah, you know, it's hard. It's taken a you long know, time. So now, you know, you firsthand, because there are other people out there who talk about, oh, we should do this kind of museum for Hollywood. We should do that kind of museum for Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a great supporter of all museums for Hollywood is Ruta Lee. Oh, right. Ruta right. thinks there should be museums for Everything and she and one of her saddest things was that Debbie Reynolds never got yeah. her museum because they were such close friends. I haven't sat down with Ruta. I really need to do that. She's she's a friend on Facebook, but I don't I don't know her well. But uh, I'll have to uh, make that happen. I adore Ruta. Yeah. The oh, fir- she seems like a sweetheart. The first time Ruta and I ever met, we're going back into the eighties <laughs> when and Tale of the Cock was at Ventura and Coldwater Canyon in the Valley. And that was like one of the big hangouts for the old Western. Oh yeah, actors right. And I was there at, with Pat Buttram. <laughs> yes, Pat. And, that voice. Oh my God! <laughs> and Pat is the one that int- he introduced me to Ruta. Oh wow! He introduced that's, me. Oh, that's you can't get better than that. So that's great. But I mean, I was. I mean, I absolutely loved hanging out with all the old the old Western guys. Oh, sure. You know, Jack Elam, Dub Taylor. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Jack and Dub, they both taught me how to play liars poker <laughs> at the Beverly Garland's Howard Johnson's no bar, no less. Oh, oh my gosh! Oh, that I go been... way back. Oh, that's wild. <laughs> that's great. That's but funny. you know, getting back to this whole idea yes. of museum. Yes. You know, and where can people actually go right now to find out more about the museum before we start going in? Well, depth? they can go to the Facebook page. They can go to the website, which which is still sort of a, a it, it's a link to our GoFundMe page, which we're still collecting donations if anyone wants to give, uh, which is HollywoodSoundMuseum.org. But uh, the Facebook page uh, is a great place to learn sort of weekly information on what we're acquiring. Uh we're going to make a big announcement here, and I'll have more details on the Facebook page about what I've talked about. Yes, you've been ta- Steve has yeah. been taunting everyone, including me. Well, this is for over a month this because is some, this is an arduous process. This is a big one because I had been uh, talking about this one internally for like two years, and just last week I went and uh, did the final work to acquire it for the museum. So it's it's quite a story, but we'll. we'll get to that soon. but you know how do you approach how has your approach been because there is you mentioned paperwork um and that's you know creating a 501c3 yes. all of this stuff is I, I have i have help 
I, Lisa Udall, who called in on right. one of the last shows, yeah, uh, she's been handling a lot of our nonprofit uh, paperwork and, and filings and all that because my head would just explode if I were acquiring things and doing that and talking to lawyers and all that sort of thing. So she's been a blessing to, to help get all that done. Um, and she's she's working diligently to make it happen. And and she has the sound background too, since she's she's she was married to uh, David Udall, mm-hmm. who's a brilliant sound editor who passed away um, a year ago. Um, and so she she knows the business and she knows the process, and so she can help on that end too. So it's it's a great combination of someone that, uh, mm-hmm. for the team. So she's on our board, and. Uh, working hard to to help us make this a reality but now while she's doing the paperwork part there's another part called legwork yeah that's me i'm 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 hitting the streets and doing the archaeology and and tracking things down and securing uh the pieces that will be on display and 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 tapes that we're going to digitize and uh yeah (laughs) you know i'm curious how hard is it because you have spent so many years in the sound industry so you know people, you are connected, um, you know his, the history of sound. So how hard is the archaeological part of tracking things down and finding it? Well, it's, it, it's, it can be very difficult, uh, especially when the trail goes, goes cold. You know, if, if I'm trying to track down something that I know, you know where it is generally, but I have to like go through, you know, paperwork and, and legal channels and all that. It, you know, it can be fairly straightforward, but take a long time. Sometimes it, we have nothing to go on. We just know a studio, we have a film name, we have this, you know, and, you know, hope that it's somewhere. It, it depends. It's different every time. Um, I remember when, when uh, I don't know if I told the story. On, I'm, I'm at the point, boys and girls, where I've been on the show so many times, I don't remember which stories <laughs> I've told and which ones I haven't. So forgive me if I've repeated myself. There was uh, a moment where I uh, was at Paramount in the library, and there was a, a woman named uh, Maureen O'Connell, a great, great person. She was wonderful. And she, she helped me uncover a few things there for work and for my own personal, you know, uh, sound insanity. But uh, she showed me in the corner of her office, there were some old books from the old RKO library, which Paramount engulfed. Mm-hmm. And there were these old books with like typing on like parchment. I mean, it was like these really old logs. And I'm flipping through it and I find some sound effects for King Kong. <laughs> I was like, what are the, oh, those are masters for King Kong. And some of them hadn't even been transferred to digital yet. They were still on either mag film or on optical film. Mm-hmm. So I like, can you? do me a favor and transfer all this stuff. So I got it. And I'm looking through the logs and um, there was a, a, a note for a sound effect that said scorpion fight. And I remember that that was a scene that was cut from the, the 1931 King Kong. It, he went down into the, the, the bug pit and fought a giant scorpion. And they had started working on it, but they abandoned the sequence. I, I can't remember why either it was too expensive or time constraints or whatever, but they abandoned it. Peter Jackson recreated it for his new for the DVD of the new King Kong that mm-hmm. he did several years ago, and the sound guys were working with me on another show. They'd moved on to another show. They'd finished the dub like a few weeks earlier, and they were actually they were working on the DVD and starting another film at the same time. And I like I found all this stuff, and I asked Maureen, you know, have have the new have the guys asked about this? And they said, no, it's just been sitting here. So I transferred it all, and I listened to it, and one of the 
one of the guys uh, was coming by, Ethan Vanderin, was there, and I, I called him in my office and uh, said, I want you to listen to something. And I played him the scorpion sounds that were made for the original King Kong oh. that he had just remade for <gasps> the new version. And oh. he, like, it, the expression on his face was priceless. It was like, you know, thanks. Can you send those to me about three months ago, please? <laughs> <laughs> But you know, sometimes it's, you fall into these things, and you find you find the trail, and you know you weren't even really looking for them. But uh, they didn't. I don't know why they didn't even try to 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 look for the new. I mean, maybe they didn't have the time or anything like that. But you know, it's 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 interesting how this stuff. Sometimes this stuff just finds you. You put it out there that you're looking for stuff, and you start getting calls. I, I'm at that point with the museum. I'm getting calls that you know I, I have an old moviola. I'm just going to get rid of. Do you want it for the museum? And I've been, I've trained myself to just say yes to That's everything. Right. Just yes. yes. Yes, I do. Where the hell am I going to put this? <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank you. Um, hmm. So, well, you have to say, yeah. <laughs> you need to say yes, because the opportunity may not come up again. No, that's right. And I've lost stuff, too, because I've, um, my mom passed away a few months ago. And just dealing with all of that has sort of, the museum has, some of the stuff had to be put on hold. And I, I lost a couple opportunities. I'm like, you know, uh, punishing myself because uh, there were a couple things that I really wanted that I just, I couldn't follow up because I had this family uh, crisis. Um, so yeah, it, you, know, you got to be diligent. You got to keep, keep up with this stuff. But, and I've got storage units all over town <laughs> and, and one in Berkeley now too. <laughs> With with stuff for the museum, but but great stuff. It'll be great once we get it all in one what place. Has, what has been the greatest find, the greatest find thus oh, far boy. that you're willing to reveal? Well, the one we're going to talk about very soon was pretty amazing. I mean, this this is, is a legendary collection, and I'm just I'm just amazed that we were able to secure. Uh, but beyond that, I think it was very sweet when when uh, Lisa Varney uh, gave us uh, her uh, her father's uh, Oscars, pledged yeah. them to us. One of which we have. Uh, we're getting the other one. Uh, gosh, I mean, it's just every time. It's uh, I'm just such a geek about this stuff to get you know the library and hold it in your hands and go through mm-hmm. all the sounds like. Uh, you know, Lisa, you had always given us uh, Dave's library, and mm-hmm. he—he, he, you know, every Halloween I think about him because he did all of the uh, those John Carpenter films like The Thing mm-hmm. and Christine, and all those wonderful films with all these great scary sounds. The Thing, in particular, it, it, it runs every Halloween, and just all those transformation sounds and all the well, the, the everything's like been running this past yeah, oh, weekend, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, since we are just a few days from Halloween. Yeah. I think my first time was last year and around the same. Was it was. It was too. around. Yeah. 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 It was around. Yes. Well, there you go. But there's something about Steve <laughs> and Steve and Halloween. It's a good know. sound effects month, I think. Well, it, it is, <laughs> and some of the most recognizable sound effects over history started, or or, or the genesis was during for a film yeah. associated with horror. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, we've heard previous ones on the show that were, you know, stemmed right out of the Universal Horror films. That's right. Yeah, we've talked about, you know, the thunder from Frankenstein or, you know, the various screams, Feyre's screams from King Kong. And yeah, it's those are the ones that are remembered. You know, sure, you put some really intense emotional context behind something, you're going to remember it. Yeah. <laughs> and the fact that these things also, one of the great things about sound 
is that with these sound libraries that so many and regular listeners, you know, they they have heard Tim Hoganacker, they've heard a couple of the other guys from from uh, Formosa here. Mm-hmm. And they talk about creating their own sound libraries, and they will go back and they will use that as their source. It's it's the lifeblood of any good sound company. Uh, your library is your palette, and you're always building it. You're always creating it. And uh, it's like a timeline, too, of your work. You can go down it and see all the films you've done. Um, and and it 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 helps it helps orient you. You can see how far you've gone, and you can if you think of a sound from a film, you can, you know generally where it is on the shelf. Um, but yeah, libraries are like that's that's that distinguishes you from everyone else. And, I mean, I I yeah. love I love hearing you know sound guys talk about going out and just going out with a boom and just recording sounds of nature, sounds of of you know storms, tornadoes, hurricanes. It's uh, yeah, you you've made me think of something that I actually have to play. One of the things that we, you know, we're always collecting sounds, even if we don't have a need for it right at that moment. And there's, there's a fun story with uh, Richard Anderson who called in mm-hmm. the first time I was on the show. Yeah. Great Oscar winning sound editor, Richard Anderson and his partner, Steve Flick, who is also a, a Oscar winner now for RoboCop. When they were uh, partners, they were working on Poltergeist, the first Poltergeist. And uh, they stayed at some cheap motel somewhere, and it was raining, and it was next to a highway. And uh, Sounds like the Bates Motel to yeah, me. Yeah, they were, <laughs> exactly. Actually, it wasn't even Poltergeist they were working on. It was something earlier. But the, the, Richard went and uh, stuck a mic out the door of the motel. Uh, Pam, why don't you queue up number 17, please? While I'm telling yeah, this this story. is a real collaborative yeah. effort here today. Pam, Pam in the booth <laughs> is helping us out. But uh, Richard wanted to record the rain, um, but there was a highway off in the distance too. And Steve was like, "You know, why are you recording this? It's not. It's not one thing. It's a couple things. How are we going to use this? Because yeah, sound people are so, you know, insistent that everything be separate so you can control the levels of everything. And this was a highway with rain, a light rain." And Richard just went and recorded it just for the sake of having it in the library. But not long later, they get poltergeist. And the last shot in the film is when they check into a motel and shove the TV out and close the door and the camera pulls back. And there's rain and there's a distant highway. So, yeah, you're going to use this stuff. It's going to come in handy. And this sounds so fantastic. Yeah. 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 It was just a because it was there kind of thing. So there you go. I mean, that's that's the lesson is, you know, always be recording, always build your library. And nowadays, there's no excuse. You can go and buy a little digital recorder for a couple hundred bucks and just oh, yeah. gather sounds and, and build your library. I mean, I'm just I'm a huge fan of, you know, Olympus. I was I have an Olympus digital and then I've got. <laughs> My Zoom H4n. Yeah, Zooms are great. Tascam my, has a great one. Yeah. My H4n, I swear by that. Mm-hmm. I love it. And I actually have run into a couple directors, and I may have mentioned this on a prior show, um, the director of the Eagle Huntress, a documentary a couple yeah. years ago. They were actually had to climb up into the mountains in Mongolia <laughs> as, you know, the young Eagle Huntress was had to get a baby eaglet. Oh, wow. You know, from a nest. Yeah. And they wanted to include this whole process where she's climbing down the cliff. She's up there with her dad. She's climbing down this rocky cliff, you know, to get this little eaglet out of the nest. 
well, director is up there filming, but he can't lug everything up there. Yeah, yeah. So in order to capture the sounds, he had his <laughs> H4N, yeah. and he's hanging off the side of the cliff with yeah. his arm down with the H4N, See, and you, that sound is what's in, in the documentary. Now you can do that. Now you yeah. can do it because you've got a small enough recorder. Back in the day, you couldn't do that. I mean, Jimmy McDonald, who was the Disney sound effects genius mm-hmm. for many years, did the voice of Mickey Mouse after Walt gave it up. Uh, he had to fake a lot of those old true life adventure sound effects, all the nature things. Uh, there, there's the brilliant story about the, the, the penguins, the, the jackass penguins. That was actually the breed. That was actually the name for years. I thought Jimmy was like just being surly. And he's talking about these jackass penguins. He had to make the voice of, no, that's what they're called. <laughs> but, uh, he performed it himself. He just did that because vocal. he didn't have the there was no, it was all MOS. It was all without sound. So yeah, he had to fake all that and all those old, uh, True Life Adventures is mostly just... I'm sorry, you're breaking my heart because I really love all those old Disney True Life Adventures. (laughs) But they, but it it was perfect. He did them so perfectly that we never knew. We had no clue. It was just, and that's the thing about our craft is if we do it right, you shouldn't question it. You just believe it. And now you're here dashing all my childhood (laughs) memories. Uh, uh, Steve. Well, I'm sure there were a couple sounds that were real. Maybe. Fine. (laughs) Well, you know, talking about sounds here, you know, because it is Halloween week. Right. You know, you brought along a a few sounds that might be. Well, we were talking about poltergeist. Let's let's talk about this is a great example. I've this has been in my little my little lecture palette for a while, so some some of your fans might have heard this. But there's a scene in Poltergeist, the first Poltergeist, which which my pals Richard Richard Anderson and Steve Flick were nominated for an Oscar. Uh, the scene where the, the, the investigators come to the house and one of them's bragging about how he took a time-lapse picture of a toy that like moved across the table over seven hours. And, uh, Craig Nelson's like, uh-huh. Yeah. And then he opens up the door and all these toys are flying around the room. That sequence was an, an ILM shot, uh, you know, an optical printed, wonderful shot of all these toys flying around. So there's no sound that existed. So they had to come up with a sound of all these toys flying around the room. And what they did was pretty neat. Um, Pam, if you want to queue up 11, and then we're going to go through 11 and 15. Um, they would take these toys into a room and put up two stereo mics and they wearing socks or something soft that you can't hear their footsteps. They would walk these toys in a circle in the room so that you got this stereo spatiality of the recording. And this is a sort of a squeak toy kind of thing. And they would just sort of walk it around the room. For those of you listening in stereo, you can hear there's a little space on it. And they did this with a bunch of different toys. They did that with a squeak toy. There's sort of a music box thing that they... And they just built up this library of all these toys that they moved around in this space. Um, there's this wind-up, this wind-up clattery toy boy. They found all these wonderful toys that made these sounds that mm-hmm. were very distinctive so they wouldn't, they wouldn't step on each other. They all had their own. This is a wind-up toy boat that they just wound up and sort of walked it around the room. And then they, they got a bunch of other things. There was a, an evil laughter in the background. That's uh, the late, great Warren <laughs> Hamilton, who was one of our sound editors for many years. He was, he was a great guy. Worked on so many films with us. And he had such a distinctive voice. So we, we, we put Warren in that. Now this one, hold on this one for a second, uh, Pam, the number 15. This requires a story. One of the things that's really fun 
is, uh, and it's an ILM optical special effect thing, where a record comes up and it's like spinning in the air and this compass comes down and, and sets on the record and you actually hear it play for a mm-hmm. few seconds. That's something that took, it took a lot of thought what they were going to do. So uh, Alan Howarth, who is a brilliant sound designer and music composer, helped with that one. He, he created something called the Ghostophone. We we had okay. uh, I, I say we because I was with these guys for so long. Actually, I did I didn't work on it, but I archived all these stories and everything. So I feel like I was part of it, but I wasn't. But Jerry Goldsmith <laughs> recorded "Twinkle Twinkle Little Star" with uh, a chorus. He had a bunch of kids come in and sing "Twinkle Twinkle Little Star" with the orchestra, and they recorded that and they put it on a record. They made like an acetate, mm-hmm. and then Alan got the record and he made this device with a turntable. He made it was some like handcrafted thing with with it was like a, a a sewing needle and a big paper cup and a handle that would set down on the thing. So you got this sort of acoustic playback of the record, not not an amplified electronic playback, but just an acoustic right. playback. And they um they they did several recordings of this record. It took forever to to do because it kept skipping. They kept trying to figure out how to. And this record had. Twinkle, twinkle, little star, over and over and over, so they could do multiple takes. So go ahead and play fifteen, Pam. This is this is from that session. It took forever to get it without skipping to get one complete take. <laughs> can you imagine how frustrating? It was? Oh my god. And ultimately, you don't even hear it all in the film. You just hear a little bit of it. Okay, this is creepy. Yeah, I know, isn't it? This is creepy. Ah, damn. (laughs) So close. (laughs) Anyway, that's that's good, Ben. Oh, my God. Oh my god. Yeah, so that's how they did that. And, and they mixed all these together and you know cut them. One of the toys that flies around in the room is um a a, a toy uh tie fighter from Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And Richard went and got the sound from Ben, the the elephant well, of roar. Course. And so that you hear that for a brief moment when it goes by. But uh yeah, that's that's one of the that's one of the fun sequences. From that film that they... Well, you know, I think it's only <laughs> fair, since we're at the halfway point of the show, that, you know... Oh, do we want to do the thing? Well, we're going to just do okay. one. We're well, gonna, one of them's been here before. Well, and that's why. Yeah, yeah our old should, friend... That's, we should bring... There's our, our... There it is. Our old friend... She has just uncovered... For those of you without pictures, she's just uncovered an Oscar. And for those of you that are not watching the Facebook live stream on AdrenalineRadio.com... Why the hell not? That's well, why. <laughs> but... Don't worry. We're also we're we're doing two camera shoot today, so you'll have a video of this so you can see it. But you know, he's been here before. He's, he has. He's, he's an, an old friend. He's an old friend. Yeah. I I think it's only fair that you know. Yeah. We let him participate. A Absolutely. Little. Yeah. Let him out. And he's yeah. so beautiful and shiny. Yeah. That's Bill Varney's Oscar for Best Sound Raiders of Lost Ark, which uh, his daughter Lisa. Um, very, very sweetly uh, pledged to the museum. And uh, we're getting Bill's other one, too, Empire Strikes Back. Uh, but, uh, yeah, he's he's with us today. To well, hello. yeah, and, and, you know, 
Speaking of Raiders of the Lost Ark, yes. you, one of your sounds. Oh, do I have? You have alien transmission whispers oh, that, oh, here. Oh, that's a story. Yeah, let me tell you that story. Because I think this is just so fun because it ties Ben Burt and yeah, it yeah. ties everybody together. It does. Well, Ben worked briefly on the first Alien movie, the Ridley Scott Alien, and he made a bunch of sounds. Uh, some that are still in the show, but uh, most of them got cut. Uh, the one sequence that that uh, I think it's on one of the special features. I think they re- restored it or something. I, I don't quite know. But uh, there was a scene where they actually listened to the transmission from the alien ship, and it got it got cut from the film. But Ben made a sound for it. Uh, and it was this creepy sort of hissy sort of whispering sound and, um, it it got cut from the film. So Ben sort of kept it in the library and he ended up using it later, uh, for Raiders of the Lost Ark as one of the voices of the, the ghosts coming out of the Ark, uh, because it had this sort of creepy, go ahead and play it. It's, uh, what is it? It's 18. uh, 18. Yeah. Play a little bit of this. It's just this creepy kind of. Almost vocal, but not really, and it's got information in it. But if you uh, remember Raiders, you can you can remember that from you can, one of the ghosts yeah. coming out coming out of the ark. Yeah, I mean that's one of the great things. These the sounds are so distinctive. Yeah, and they do they're touchstones, and you know much as music, it's a touchstone. I mean you listen, you talk about the soundtrack of your life, mm-hmm. which everybody's going to get to experience this Friday with Bohemian Rhapsody. By the way. <laughs> Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Which I am just... I'm a big Queen fan, so... I am gaga over this film, let me tell you. Yeah, yeah. Um, It is truly a cinematic experience. Um, But I think about, you know, the sound... Music is a soundtrack of your life. These sound effects are as much a soundtrack of our lives as music is. Well, and and a lot of these sounds, some of them are very musical, too. Yeah. Uh, Like like I had played uh, last time I was here, or one of the last times I was here... Uh, some Jimmy McDonald percussion sounds that he did for Disney. For and Disney. He, ac- he actually wrote them out like a musical composition with several performers, and they would count down and do that. There's another sound here that uh, sort of leads into that. Uh, the 1951 film The Man in the White Suit with Alec Guinness. It's a story about this, this, this chemist who comes up with this indestructible cloth, and he makes a suit out of it and makes a, he almost takes down the entire textile industry. Because everyone goes nuts, and you know, if they're only going to need one more suit, we're out of business. But the chemical apparatus that he creates to make this fabric had this wonderful sound to it—all these glugs and gurgles—and I, I tracked down the the woman who made these sounds. She did not get a credit on the film. Yeah, her name was uh, Mary Haberfield, and she was a brilliant sound editor. She worked on many, many shows, sometimes credited. A lot of times not, but she made this wonderful composition. She, re- she recorded um, these drip sounds by like hitting these pieces of brass on her palm, and it sounded just like a drip sound. She forced liquid through different drains to make different you know, tuned um, drain sounds, and then she manipulated the tape. And then she cut them all together in a sort of 4-4 four, four beat Mm-hmm. Uh, to make this, 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 whenever you saw the the thing, the the chemical apparatus working, you'd hear this wonderful sound. Go ahead and play cue number one, Pam. This is sort of a long version of what it sounded like. Oh, 
that is very Isn't that brilliant. Very musical. And it, it, the first time you see it, there's this dialogue going back. That he's hiding because he's not supposed to be there. And all the company officials are like looking at this thing. Like, what the hell is this? So I don't know. And they have this sort of internal argument trying to figure out what it is. And this is going through the entire scene. And so you listen to it, and it's completely different every every measure. It's the drips are different, and the tones are different, and then it changes rhythm sometimes. And it's just this wonderful composition that that Mary Haverfield made, um, just edited either on quarter inch tape or on film. When you think. When you think that each little sound, each drip, each drain sound was just one piece of film that she cut together into this pattern. See, it's evolving again. <laughs> and when I was a kid, I saw this film for the first time. I was just listening to this thing, and I was, that's just brilliant. I've snuck this sound into a couple films I've worked on. Joe I da- think it's cool. Well, Joe Dante, who is a big film fan, he loves to put in little references. Oh, there it goes again. But uh, he, he loves the history of these things. And when there's an evil laboratory in one of his films, like in Gremlins 2 and Looney Tunes back in action, we, we snuck this in there. Snuck it in. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> I think it's great. Well, let me tell you, when, it came, when the film came out, they, uh, the studio um, released a single, a pop single, produced by some guy named George Martin. Yeah, some whatever you know, happened to him. Whatever happened to know. him, I, I don't, don't know. know. I think he worked with some little group some of little group. four guys. But yeah. uh, he uh, got together with his musician Jack Parnell, and they produced the White Suit Samba. You got to understand, this is 1951. This is popular mu- music at the time. So Pam, and number two, this is just a little sample. They wrote this little sort of thing and incorporated some of Mary Haberfield sounds in it. Too. It's just a little silly, you know, single, just a one-off, like they would do to promote the film. It sounds like the sounds are just tacked on, but at the end it gets kind of interesting. Here we go, this gets good. <laughs> the tuba works well, isn't it? talking about sound effects being music. Well, and, and, you know, what's, uh, you know, I'm listening to that, and it's okay, we've got the tuba coming in yeah. there, there's a xylophone in yeah, there, yeah. so that it can really work with the, with the effects yeah. that she created. And I was thrilled to actually find out her name and how she did it. Uh, that was a couple hours at the Academy Library. I managed to find one copy of the program that was given out at the premiere of the film back in the And it was in there. It was in the Academy Library, and there was this one little paragraph about the sound effects. Because it was such a star of the film, they had to write about it. Uh-huh. Uh, and I was so grateful to find that little snippet of information. Okay, well, here's a, here's a sound effect that I need you to research for oh, me. Oh, boy, here it comes. From Desk Set with Catherine Hepburn and Spencer Tracy. Wow, okay. The Computer Emirac. Incredible, incredible sound okay. effects. I, I'm not familiar. I'll have to look that up. Okay, you you don't know the movie? No, no, sorry. Oh, 
Classic. I'm sorry, classic film listeners. I am so sorry. I did not properly (laughs) vet him on Spencer Tracy and Catherine Hepburn. Oh, I'm a fan of theirs. You haven't, and I'm sure I'm sure I've seen it. I just don't remember. Oh, that movie's great with Joan Blondell, Dina Merrill. Oh, it's fabulous. I'll put it on my list. It is a must see. It's and it takes place around Christmas, so it's a good Christmas movie. Well, there you go. Timing is good. But I want to know. I want to know the history of the sounds that were created for Emirac the computer. Okay, that's your mission. I'm on it. Yeah, I want that. Okay, but you know, I I I don't know. You know, we have this. Do we have somebody here? This. Do we want to do that? Okay. He seems very lonely. Well, you know, Bill Varney's uh, Oscar there needs a partner. Okay, I'll tell you the story. I don't know. He's, you know, okay. we have this, you know. I, well, it, it's a long involved. I mean, this is one of the main reasons I'm here is this, this great acquisition for the Sound Museum. And that's only one part of it right there. Um, there were three guys. When, when the term sound designer was formed, there were three guys back in the late 70s, mid, mid to late 70s, that epitomized that term. Uh, there was Ben Burt, who we've talked about. Mm-hmm. There's Walter Murch, who worked a lot with uh, Francis Coppola, doing mm-hmm. films like The Conversation and Apocalypse Now. And there was a guy named Alan Splett. Alan Splett worked uh, with uh, David Lynch quite often. Uh, in fact, they, they collaborated on one of their first big projects, which was Eraserhead, which was a collection of fantastic, creepy sounds on the soundtrack there was no like real music per se it was mm-hmm. all it was this wonderful eerie crazy sound that alan created with with david and uh they also did elephant man uh blue velvet dune amazing work he was he was fantastic at creating emotion and sound uh, the backgrounds like the industrial sort of heartbeats and things of of elephant man uh, the sound just, in Dune is yeah. fantastic. Oh, yeah, Dune is brilliant. The original Dune, yeah. people. Yeah. <laughs> the first version, yeah. The real one. That, that, that David Lynch almost had his name taken off. Uh, yeah, that was, it was pretty incredible. But uh, Alan uh, amassed this huge, amazing library of all these wonderful creations. He passed away about almost 20 years ago. And uh, his, uh, his partner, his widow, uh, Anne Krober, is a de- very dear friend of mine, and when I started this museum project, I, I wanted to get her involved. I've been talking to her for the last several years. We'd love to get Alan's collection in the library. You know, would you, would you consider that? And she'd been thinking about it for a while. Well, just in the last few weeks, I mean, literally last week, I was up, I was up there to see her. Uh, she, she's had to move. She's had to relocate, and she was consolidating her stuff, and she offered me the library to take to the, uh, to the museum. And I said, you know, you're still the owner of this. We're just going to be custodians of it and keep it in the library and restore it and digitize it. And, uh, she said, okay. So we, we made an agreement and I, I took a road trip to Berkeley and, uh, most of it is, is in storage in Berkeley, but we're going to bring it down for the museum, uh, when we're ready. But, uh, I've, I've got a few tapes of it here. Oh, I just crapped out. I can't hear myself anymore. You can't hear yourself? Okay. Oh. Can you hear yourself now? There I am. Okay. It's, uh... I guess I'll put the other. I'm sorry. I just, all of a sudden, I went dead for a second. Oh. Um, He's but anyway. playing with his headsets, people. <laughs> no, I'm not. Anyway, these are a few tapes from, there are over 3,000 tapes in this. this wow. Is, this is tape 2346 
which is a Michael Jackson tape. I'm not sure what's on this. It could be something very interesting. Mm. I literally just acquired all this stuff, so I don't know what's on a lot Nagra of it. Nagra Master. Yeah. He worked on Thriller, apparently, so I don't know. Oh. We'll see. But I went up to CN, and we, we boxed up all the tapes, and we put them in storage, and I'm going to be taking them down to the, the lab and digitizing them and, and making them accessible. But then she stunned me when I was up there, and she offered me... Go ahead. Okay. She offered me, and I took... Alan's Oscar for the Black Stallion. That's a special achievement Oscar that Alan won for sound editing on the Black Stallion, and uh, I was just I was just blown away. I, I you know it's Bill's Oscar has a friend now. That's right. But uh, yeah, I, I was not expecting it. I didn't push her or anything, but she she offered that, and it's going to have a place of honor in the museum on display. And this this Oscar has a bit of notoriety attached to it, and. Uh, Yes. Yeah. I, uh, let's let's tell the story. Let's tell the story about <laughs> yeah. Mr. S- Alan Splitz. Well, it was the, Oscar. It was the 1979 Academy Awards, and uh, it was a special achievement award. So Alan knew he was getting it, but for one reason or another, he decided he wasn't going to come to Hollywood to accept it. He was either working. I think he might have been in London at the time. He was working, and he would have lost several days. Even though the studio offered to send a plane and you know send him by Concord to to pick it up. And he said, no, he didn't want it. He ran from publicity. He was a real modest guy and just didn't, stayed out of the limelight, but it, it chased him down. Anyway, um, come the night of the Oscars, Johnny Carson um, announced that he was going to win. the. I've got a sound clip of it. If you want to play uh, number 20, Pam, this is Johnny Carson. Before the presentation of the next award, which is in the category of sound, I'd like to tell you that the Board of Governors has voted a special achievement award for sound effects editing of the Black Stallion to Mr. Alan Splint. Anyway, huge, huge honor. And everyone was, you know, that's, that's brilliant. That's great. But he wasn't there to accept the award. And I think the combination of him not being there and, and I think Johnny just liked the name Alan Splett. He just, there's something, you know, you talk about humor and words like, you know, Groucho Marx loved the word duck, you know, and mm-hmm. used it and everything. You know, it, Alan Splett, it's, his name is a sound effect. So I guess Johnny ran with that. And after the sound awards, the, the, the actual awards that, that preceded that little announcement, he came back on and uh, if you play 21... Ladies and gentlemen, we just heard from Alan Splett. He missed the off-ramp at the Civic Center. And he's somewhere in Ensenada, but he's on his, his way here. <laughs> for the rest of the Our evening, next presenter. For the rest of the, he, he kept riffing on Alan Splett. He kept giving Alan Splett updates. And, you know, Alan Splett uh, took a wrong turn on the 605. But he's coming. I swear he's coming. <laughs> and... Um, I guess uh, Melvin Douglas uh, won an award that night, and he did not show up. Mm-hmm. So uh, Carson comes back on right after that uh, with, with this. It is not Melvin Douglas's fault he's not here tonight. He was in a carpool with Alan Splett. <laughs> <laughs> but he kept going on. It, it, almost every commercial break, he would come back with Alan Splett updates. And finally, at the end of the evening, you know, we, we all know George C. Scott and a couple of other people, you know, weren't there to accept their awards. Right. So at the end of the evening, before his closing remarks, he, he, he ended with this. It always happens. First, George C. Scott doesn't show, then Marlon Brando, and now Alan Splett. <laughs> 
So this this Oscar has has a certain amount of notoriety. And we're going to have to figure out how to incorporate that whole story into the museum. I don't know. Maybe we'll have the video clip running behind it. But yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> but this is exciting that yeah. all, you know for you to have two Oscars, a third one on the way. Yeah. You know, and, it's already and, committed. But Allen's library is really the, the thing. That That's just, the gem. You know, there's so much history there and so many wonderful films, all the things he recorded. I, I remember when I was working on a film, I can't remember what it was, but we needed some wolves. And we called Alan because he had done Never Cry Wolf. Mm-hmm. This is the wonderful uh, picture um, with uh, just brilliant sound design. And he said, oh, sure, I'll send you a couple tapes. And I'm like three or four real to real tapes like this come, you know, FedEx down of the, these amazing recordings, very plaintive and scary and all these different, you know, emotions that he'd built up from these collections of wolves that he'd recorded. Just such a brilliant guy. I'm just, I'm just thrilled that uh, he's going to be represented at the library. I think that's, museum. I think that's fabulous. Mm-hmm. Fabulous. You know, I'm curious because you talk about digitizing and a lot of people aren't familiar with DAP. They're not familiar with digital archive preservation. So what goes into digitizing these, you know, okay, it's reel-to-reel is one thing, but then you've got mag tapes, optical tapes. See, that's the thing. It's funny how you say that because it's always changing. Yeah. By the time we're ready to finally move with the museum and we have our interactive exhibits and we have our digital library accessible – It'll be a different format. I mean, it changes so quickly. I'm going to have to learn about some of these new uh, formats. But the the trick is first to just load the effects, just to get them on uh, some kind of digital media so that you can transfer them over. I mean, mm-hmm. just even just high-res wave files of some kind. Um, yeah, it's 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 crazy how this keeps uh, changing. But we're gonna we're gonna have to have a, a massive uh, massive. Uh, digital storage unit of some kind to to maintain all this stuff there there's so many different uh, we've got several sponsors in in Tascam and some other companies mm. and i i am overdue to sit down with them and and look at the different uh the different means but when i was working at old weddington back in the day i was transferring these these quarter inch tapes um uh, constantly for weeks and weeks uh to just dat tape first right and then to digital audio, I mean, straight into Pro Tools. I mean, they didn't even exist in a tangible. They just were on a hard drive. There's something very sad about that. There's there's mm-hmm. nothing. There's, tape and film is just so, you know, it's it's real. It's you're holding it in your hand. Uh, so I'm kind of I'm kind of sad that it sort of goes into the ether and you just push a button and you hear it. I I want to. But you're hold but something. you know <laughs> important is that you're not destroying or getting rid of the original yeah, source. That's, that's another sore issue is so many studios are just tossing the originals. Yeah. They're just getting rid of them. Yeah. So that's, that was another impetus for the, the museum, another reason we, we, we you know, yeah, and, and you know, time is, is of the essence. I mean, you take a look over at Culver Studios is a perfect example. Oh, sure. And, I mean, it's just getting decimated and ripped to the ground, all these grand old uh, sound stages there. Oh, yeah. Absolutely, um, and Universal too. They just uh, the the old Phantom stage is gone. They had to rebuild that. You know, and a um, lot of what gets lost yeah. to make room for things are these great archival libraries. Sure. You know, yeah, it's no, it's, absolutely. It's sad. You know, that's you know that's and I know we talked about this before. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I'm a member of Broadcast Pioneers, 
And their big thing, broadcast pioneers in Philadelphia, their big thing is preserving radio and television history out of Philadelphia. And tons of archival stuff in in my dad's house. And we, it's like, okay, people, (laughs) here it is. You know, let's digitally preserve all of this because it's stuff going back to, you know, into the 1920s, 1930s, uh, and then film that is... Crispy, shall we say? It's scary. You know, sometimes you go, you can get one playback out of it before it has to be That's re- it. retired. Uh, these tapes, we've had to bake tapes to to get them to play because the, the we found that the the adhesive gets sticky and and bleeds into the uh, the magnetic portion, and so the it can't get past the recording head. You literally have to bake it. We actually made a proprietary box with a with an industrial hairdryer to just heat them up so that you could wow you could do it. Yeah. Yeah. N- new uses for hair dryers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, who, who, well, some people actually stuck them in ovens mm-hmm. and forgot about them and melted the reel and ruined the tape. So oh. we so we were trying to think of something that, that wouldn't be destructive but could still heat it up to the amount of the heat that we need. So we thought hair dryers would be a way to go. And it works, it works really well. That's, you yeah. know, yeah. that goes with my great discovery I found on the Internet last week about a new use for vodka. Mold. Oh, yeah? It kills mold. Oh, that's good to know. Isn't that good to know? I mean, I've got plenty on hand already, so. <laughs> you know, it's amazing the things that a you A new learn. excuse to have to buy, uh, have to buy vodka. <laughs> I don't have to be, you know, vodka, don't have to rationalize it that way. No, vodka cannot, however, be used for cleaning Oscars or for anything like that. Right. But it's also very good for removing adhesive from spliced tapes. Yes, Excellent for that. Yeah, any any it's, good alcohol based product, and for cleaning um, heads on machines if you don't have any alcohol around. Right. You know. Absolutely. So. So should we play some more? Let's play sound some effects? more sound let's effects. See. Any any preference there? You you have a copy of my. Well, let's see. Oh, let's let's tell the uh, the Alice in Wonderland the the story of Tweedledee and Tweedledum there because that's one of my favorites. Well, let's do I, that. Uh, I I'm a huge Disney fan. No, and, uh, you think? Yes, just so you all know, he, he, he was just there <laughs> the gonna, other the other day. My, I was. He's when he leaves the studio today. He's going back to Disneyland. I'm spending three days there just to get my act together and regroup. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So we're very lucky because he <laughs> that he's here, that Steve is here today because he real he. My be, my park time. We're cutting into my my park. We're, time, we're cutting yeah. into his park time, people. <laughs> It's okay. Well, so let's talk about Tweedledum and Tweedledee. Well, this goes back to uh, when I was at Weddington and I was working with Mark Mangini on Beauty and the Beast and Aladdin. And uh, I think I think Mark knew that that my um, I was a bit obsessive with with Disney and Disney sound and you knew think? a lot about Jimmy Mill. I think he figured it out. Especially if he didn't before, he certainly did at this moment. We had an opportunity to go to Disney and raid the library of all of Jimmy McDonald's sound effects. And the the copy we had, um, we couldn't find all the logs. So we, and it was chronologically arranged like most libraries were. So we sort of went to an early section because we wanted some of those early comic sounds from the late 40s, early 50s of some of those wonderful sounds that uh, those films that had those those great comic sounds that Jimmy made and uh 
we he grabbed a bunch of tapes and I grabbed a bunch of tapes and he had a station that had external speakers so he could hear everything he played. I had headphones in a different corner of the room. And he put on a tape and started listening and and all of a sudden he heard he played a, a bulb horn. This is a uh, cue number uh, 28, Pam. It's just a standard, you know, like you'd have on on bicycles, you know, you'd squeeze the bulb and it would make a horn sound. And mm-hmm. this this is this is that sound. It's just a high-end, you know, honk. I heard it right away, and I said, oh, that's, that's Tweedledum. And then Mark was like, what do you mean? Said, that's Tweedledum from Alice in Wonderland. If you go ahead a cue or two, I'll bet you it'll be one octave lower. And that'll be Tweedledee. And sure enough, sure enough it was. And Mark gave me this look like, you know, you're insane. Yeah. But, uh, and, and there's a, a Q30 uh, is both of them together. Going back and forth. Yeah. <laughs> I actually use this for my alert sound on my phone. <laughs> okay. All right. But uh, yeah, it's, it's always had a had a warm place in my heart for the uh, Disney's the Disney sound effects. And well, and you brought those. a couple more of your favorite Disney sound effects today too. Oh, did I? Let's see. What do I have? Here? I think. Oh, that, yeah. I think well, since you I, did. When I was working on a film for Disney, it was actually a film that's no longer there. It was a Disney California Adventure. It was a Whoopi Goldberg film about the history of California, and there was a train in the film, and I I wanted to record some new train stuff. Really, I wanted to just go backstage at the park. So I said, hey, can we go to Disneyland to record the train? And the, the guy said, oh, yeah, we'll set that up for you. So we went backstage at Disneyland to record the train for a day. That was a great day. But uh, <laughs> we uh, we recorded the horns, uh, the, the whistles of all the different trains. Um, which one first? Uh, if you, uh, 25 first, Pam. This is this is the one of the trains of uh, Disneyland. They have these wonderful. You recognize this immediately, you know, from the Disneyland train. And the kids get excited when they hear this because they get a tour of the entire park. So I get I get excited because it means I can get on and I don't have to walk. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I'll, I'll do that in the midday. I'll just ride the train around yeah. over and over. My yeah. mo- my mother loved. Yeah. I took her to Disneyland yeah. uh, when she was out here once, and back in the '80s, mm-hmm. and she loved the train. Yeah. She was happy to sit on that train and ride the train <laughs> yeah. for a couple hours. No, which anybody that knew my mother, I'm going to do it you tonight. You know, I was happy at that moment. I'm going to get a drink and I'm going to sit on the train and just ride it around a couple times and just decompress tonight. I'm looking forward to that. But there's uh, something else interesting that I did not know from that from that day that we uh, we went to record the train. Uh, the roundhouse that is backstage, it's, it's near Harbor Boulevard. It's on the, the, the side of the, the park there, just between right where the five and Harbor Boulevard meet, mm-hmm. the, that corner of the park, um, is where the roundhouse is, where all the trains are stored at night. And it's also where the monorail lives at night. And that big building, they mounted a train whistle on that building. It's actually mounted on... Yeah, a lot of people don't know this. It's fascinating. I don't know if it's still there, but it was when we when we did this. It's this big old train whistle that's mounted on on the building. And I said, oh, can we record that? And I said, oh, sure. So that's... If you play number uh, 24, this is the roundhouse whistle at the Disneyland Hotel backstage. Wonderful. It almost... It sounds like the steamboat whistle. It sounds kind of like the steamboat whistle. It's got a different t- timbre. Yeah. 
it, this one sounds like the 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 work whistle at the the Flintstones. You know, the day of the day of work is it's over. It's not quite as yeah, sharp, kind it, of, but it's yeah. got that sort of feel to it. But uh, in the film that we did, the the California Adventure film, History of California, this is actually the the whistle we used for the train. Because it just had a neat sound to it. It's a great. I, yeah. It's a really good sound. I had no idea it was there. And if we did not have that sort of backstage privilege to go there, I, w- I would not have known about it. Will you be exerting any backstage privileges while you're there today? So we also have to play <laughs> tonight. Um, here's another sound effect that I like. I don't have much backstory on it, but it's a wonderful sort of textured kind of sound that Jimmy McDonald made. This is from Darby O'Gill and the Little People. Uh, key number twenty-seven. This ah. is a good. This is a good Halloween sound. This is the Banshee from Darby O'Gill, and it's a, it's a it's a woman's vocal with a little bit of vibraphone. It was probably recorded in their echo chamber. They had the wonderful echo chamber at Disney mm-hmm. that they they would actually the talent would actually go inside it to record. And record it. Yeah, and and we don't do it that way anymore because we like to control the amount. You know, we'll do it electronically. But back then they just, you know, would record them in the echo chamber. So that's probably where So you got the from. echo at that moment. Yeah. Yeah. So that's uh, pretty cool. Well, you know, my favorite, you know, my favorite. We have, well, we have two perfect ones. Oh, boy. Two perfect ones for this show. What's that? Before, before because we have a few minutes left in the show. Oh, right. Okay. So two that uh, fit this week of Halloween perfectly, I think. We have the Frankenstein, the Strickfadden. Oh, yeah. that, uh, And, of course, yeah. a witch. Oh, we have the witch. Well, let's play the witch really quick because that's just sort of a sound effect. That, and it's, it's the same effect several times, Pam, so after one we can just kill it. But, uh, yeah, Q31. This is the witch. It was recorded originally for Snow White. This is the great scream. That woke you up. (laughs) It's just the same one over and over. They used to archive things that way. But that's the great death cry of the witch from from Snow White. And it was also used again in Sleeping Beauty when Maleficent got it Mm -hmm. at the end. And she was a dragon at that point, but she still let out the scream, which I thought was interesting as a kid. Well, you know, <laughs> it's and, her spirit uh, screaming. You know, I and guess. of course, yeah. we we actually invited, we threw it out there because sound goddess Paula Fairfield, mother oh, right. of dragons. <laughs> you know, she's laid up now yeah, with, with an Paula. injury. Poor Paula. So you know, I know Paul listens once in a while. So yeah. anytime you want to, anytime you want to come on the show, Paula, you're more than welcome. Um, I even had messenger before messenged, yeah. messaged her before the show and yeah. said, "Hey, Steve's here. If you're bored, yeah, call and, in. And you want to talk sound? Yeah. You're free to call in." But mentioning dragons, it, it always oh, yeah. makes me think of Paula, the mother of dragons. She is the one that created the sound of dragons for Game of Thrones. Oh yeah, she's brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Yes. Yeah. So, strict fadden. Frankenstein, nineteen thirty-one. Uh, a guy named Ken Strickfadden built these wonderful props, the the Jacob's Ladders and all the electrical props. Uh, he actually built those for Frankenstein at Universal. And they were these brilliant props. I, I, I've seen them several times and actually used them a couple times to record. Um, this is an earlier recording, though. This isn't my recording of it. But uh, 
they they're still in service. They're still around. I think I think they're in Texas right now. I'm not sure exactly where they are, but for many years they were in a warehouse in Hollywood and you could rent them. They were the, in Young Frankenstein. They mm-hmm. rent. They used the same props, the original props. So they even have a little credit for it at, at the beginning of the film. That's uh, we'd like to thank Kenneth Strickland for the use of the Frankenstein props. Brilliant things, and you'd plug them in, and you'd do this wonderful thing, and they made these wonderful electrical sounds. And uh, Richard and Steve and Mark Mangini went to record them for, I think, Poltergeist for all the electrical discharges. Mm-hmm. And this is a variable traveling arc. This is one of them. And I, I picked this particular recording because if you listen carefully, you can hear them talking. Steve Flick almost bought the farm on this one. He, in the middle of the take, he decided, oh, this would be a good place to put a microphone. And the guy hit the kill switch immediately because, you know, no, that's, would that's have been not a, yeah. Oh, he would have been fried. He would have been completely fried. But you'll hear Richard's voice. Richard, of course, has to get his little quip in. Brilliant. My pal Richard Anderson. Okay, we're going to start with our first Ken Strickfadden machine here. What's this called? This is the variable traveling arc. From the top position. Leave it to Richard to put everything in perspective. <laughs> but this is such a great electrical kind. Of, you know, it's your typical Sci-fi, classic. Yeah. That you know, Frankenstein sets the standard for this sort of thing. Yeah. And uh, this is the prop, and they're in perfect working condition still. And all the different settings, you could get different zaps out of them. But, God, we've used this for so many different so things. So many things, yeah. yeah. Yeah, such a great you know, staple of the library to have electrical discharges. And the fact that it's this classic, wonderful prop that was made for you know, such a wonderful wow. thing. Yeah. Nobody died. <laughs> yeah, that's Don't right. Don't worry. Nobody Everyone died. was fine. Everybody was yeah. fine. Yeah. Oh, they were really going to town oh, yeah. with this. Oh, it was a long session. They did. They there was like ten different props there that they recorded. Oh my yeah, god! Yeah, that was just one of them. Well, unfortunately, as usual. <laughs> yeah, we're not going to go long this time. We That's are fine. out of time today. <laughs> well, because you have to get to Disneyland. I do. I do. Otherwise, I'd I'd, I'd set another record. That's, that's okay. <laughs> you know, we've had two two ninety minute shows with right. you already. I'm good. <laughs> You're the first guest with 90 minutes, the first one yeah. with three visits, you know. There will be more. There we go. Yes, there, there will be. There will be well, more. Well, the museum, it's we're constantly acquiring things. I love having this platform where I can share it with everyone. I appreciate uh, being asked. But, well, uh, I always love it because you don't yeah. even tell me, so it's a surprise <laughs> for me. Hey, as... I'm coming with two Oscars. How about that? Yeah, but <laughs> see, you don't tell me that. It's like, yeah. I have an announcement. Yeah. I'm going to be making an announcement. And that's all that he doesn't even tell me. So I get to be just as excited (laughs) when he gets here and I find out like, okay, he showed up today. And yes, I saw what was going out on the tablescape, but I don't know the stories. I don't know the background. So it's always. And she still says, yes, come on in. I always (laughs) say yes. It's so much fun. I could have tried a new brand of candy bar or something. (laughs) Oh, stop it. But. From follow the Hollywood Sound Museum on Facebook. Yeah. Go to HollywoodSoundMuseum.org yes. to get updates on there. And as Steve acquires more and has more fun things to say, I know he'll be back. 
I hope so. I appreciate being asked. Thank you very much. I love having you here. You're so fun. Oh, thank you. You know. Thank you very and, much. And if you weren't, I I would tell you that. <laughs> I'm sure you so, would. So we are out of time today. Um, next week, I don't even know at this moment who I have <laughs> next week. All I know is I'm booking into December now with guests. Um, so that excites me. That's yes, great. We're booking in December with guests. Blue skies. Um, so... That's great. So until next week, I'm Debbie Elias. This is Behind the Lens.